0: to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and entertainment and all kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito, flying solo this week for my co-host, Tom Richardson. And today, we're going to talk about a startup, and a startup not from a kind of, well, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, but not just from a team standpoint, but from a league standpoint. Our guest is John Lashway, who's been a longtime friend and colleague, who is now the president of the Hamilton Honey Badgers, who are going to bring professional basketball just to Canada starting this spring. So, John, welcome.
1: Thanks, Joe. It's great to be with you. It's always uh, fun to talk with you and uh, catch up, and you and I go way, way, way back, uh, and uh, it's been fun to to work together through these years, so thanks for having me tonight.
0: When John and I first met each other, there were laces on the basketball. So uh, they <laughs> it was just the after the, the
1: hole is cut from the bottom of the peach basket.
0: Right, exactly. Thanks thanks to Mr. Naismith, Dr. Naismith, who obviously was Canadian. So Yes, he was. Um, so why don't we, before we get started about talking about not just the Honey Badgers and the league and the idea of the league and the value of professional basketball in Canada, uh, let's talk a little bit about your career and kind of how you've gotten to where you are, Raptors, Trailblazers, other things that you've done outside of sports, Um, startups that you've been involved with in in other places as well. So why don't you kind of take us through uh, your life in Canada and the Pacific Northwest and how we kind of got to this point.
1: Yeah, I uh, graduated from the University of Oregon School of Journalism uh, and uh, was fortunate enough to uh, get a job full-time in the athletic department there at Oregon. Uh, My senior year of university, there was uh, two assistant SIDs that left and they held one of those positions open for me while I finished my degree taking classes in the morning and then working in the afternoon and the evening, and when I graduated, I, I moved on into a full-time assistant SID position. I actually started as the Women's Sports Information Director at Oregon, and then we merged the two departments, and And I had a mix of sports, um, including men's basketball and um, women's track and field and, and volleyball and so forth. And so I did that for five years and then the phone rang one day and it was the Portland Trailblazers calling and they'd heard of me and uh, wanted to know whether I wanted to speak with them to replace their retiring uh, head of communications, John White, if you remember John, uh, Sherry White's dad. So John was retiring and so I went up and, and spoke with them and uh, a couple of times and, and became the director of communications there for the Trailblazers Um my goal was to get to the NBA or Major League Baseball by the time I was 40, and I was lucky I was able to get it at the age of 26, so I uh, was there for eight and a half seasons, and I was part of a house cleaning with the Trail it actually, We'd gotten to the finals twice and um, had a lot of success, and then oftentimes what happens after you're at the top, you inevitably come down, and so... Uh, they cleaned out the, the basketball operations area, and I was one of the victims, I guess you'd say. And mm-hmm. So I had a chance to go to the Houston Rockets or to the Toronto Raptors, and the Raptors were starting up, and they didn't have any players or coaches. And I thought, well, I've done so many things in the NBA, but one thing that I haven't tried is expansion. I, I don't know anybody in Canada, so I'll go do that. And so I, I chose Toronto over Houston. Um, and I figured I'd be here for a year or two, and that was 23 years later. <laughs> I'm still here. Um, so the Raptors startup was, was an amazing uh, journey that we can talk about. Um, got my Canadian citizenship in 2004. I still live in Portland, Oregon, and, uh, and then about an hour west of Toronto as well. I go back and forth. Uh, frequently, So um, I was with Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, which is the Raptors and the Maple Leafs and Toronto FC uh, and other holdings as well. I was there for 13 years, and then I figured I could uh, do some other things and, and live a bit different lifestyle, tired of the 70-hour weeks, and... And running my own ship doing my own thing, so for the last ten years, I've had my own consulting business and about half my clients have been in sports and then I've worked in higher education and healthcare care real estate development um, entertainment um, and for individuals and organizations and it's just been great been involved in the construction of uh, different arenas and stadiums and um, uh I guess in April I started talking to the CEO of this new Canadian Elite Basketball League and um I ended up taking on two different contracts with him. One is executive vice president of the league and then the other is president of the Hamilton franchise and we live about fifteen minutes from Hamilton, so uh, you know, that was kind of a natural thing and so I've been doing that since the first of May when the league launched and um I just tell my wife, it's, it's absolutely the time of my life. I haven't had so much fun since I was at the University of Oregon. It's just so much fun, and I'm doing things I never thought I would do and working with great people. So that's my journey. Cool.
0: So be, before we take a step back, let's tell everybody a little bit more about what the CEBL is, um, the vision of it, and the length of the season where the teams are, uh, and talk a little bit about the Honey Badgers and your kind of historic decision on a coach that happened, uh, you know, earlier in December.
1: Yeah, the, the Canadian Elite Basketball League is, uh, we say it's a, a league created by Canadians for Canadians. Uh, it is a starting as a six-team professional men's basketball league. We have teams in Edmonton, Abbotsford, Saskatoon, Guelph, Hamilton, and St. Catharines. three in the East three in the West we're going to add six more Um, and for for the first season we're going with six and it's a league that is uh, partnered with Canada basketball so there's never been a professional national league in Canada. Uh, it's been affiliated with the national governing body. Canada is one of the only handful of countries that doesn't have a national league. So we are now that as a uh, recent announcement uh, of partnership with them. So 70% of the players in this league will be Canadian. Ten-man uh, rosters. So seven out of ten are Canadian. The other three can be from anywhere. Um, we will play 20 games, 10 home, 10 road. Uh, you play everybody two at home, two on the road. Um, it's a single entity ownership league, so one particular guy owns all six teams in the league. We're kind of modeling that after the the start of Major League Soccer and the WNBA. Um, there's a lot of advantages to that, so you know it's it's well financed. Um, we've been able to sign some some good national partners right off the top. Ticketmaster we're the first. Uh, league in Canada to be to have the full league affiliated or or partnered I should say with Ticketmaster.
0: Hmm.
1: New Era is our uh, apparel and on court provider. We're the first basketball league they've ever been involved with. New Era is trying to step into a space as as Nike and Adidas and, and Under Armour pull back on their league partnerships. New Era and Puma are, are stepping forward, and so we we have a five year deal with New Era to be our on-court apparel uh, and and fan gear partner Um, so those are two pretty big uh, announcements we've got more that are signed and that will meter out to keep the momentum going in the new year but uh, and then Canada basketball we announced last week so very Canadian focused Uh, it's going to be comprised of players playing professionally overseas during the traditional basketball season this league will run from May through August so we're not competing with the Euroleague and the G League uh, and leagues of comparable caliber of play uh, for players. So if guys that are playing in those leagues now and looking for a place to play in the summer, there's 160 Canadians playing professionally overseas, You know, we'd like to bring 48 of those guys back, or I should say 42 of those guys back uh, in the summertime. We will pay them on a per-game basis more than the G League players earn on a per-game basis, except for the G League two-way players. So it's, it's a pretty attractive situation. Um, we want to develop coaches, players, front office staff, and referees. That's the, the objective and the mandate of our league. And, and, and make basketball accessible to people across Canada. It's the fastest-growing sport in Canada, thanks mostly to the Raptors um, and the, the influence it's had as Canada's only national NBA team. Um, So, you know, affordable prices for people and access to the game and developing the sport. So Canada has really emerged, you know, worldwide in basketball, and we think we can really fuel that even more. How? um, So a couple of other questions before
0: we uh, get to your coaching situation, but uh, media rights for the league, have they been given out yet? Are you looking more traditional broadcast or digital streaming, and then... Attendance, what do you guys see for attendance and price points for fans?
1: Yeah. So in terms of the broadcast, uh, we've had discussions and continue to have discussions with national carriers. We don't think we're going to get that the first year. We're really focusing on on the, a playoff. We'll have a playoff weekend. It'll be a semifinal and a final in a neutral site, uh, or I should say one of the six cities. Um, and there's two of the six cities that are bidding on that right now. So we might get some carriage for the for the championship weekend. Uh, but we're really focusing on, on digital because. We think that's where everything's going, and that's where our, where our fans are going to be found. Um, so that's, you know, first of all, it's, it's more cost-effective. Um, but, but more importantly, we really see that trend going in that direction. And this is a league, we, we say it's basketball presented in a new way. Um, not only is it high-caliber caliber basketball, but there's also a lot of entertainment around these games. So we say, come for the party, stay for the game. Um, so everything we do, we're thinking about – we're, we're forward-thinking. And so we're really focused on, on digital broadcasting. All of our games will be live-streamed. Uh, we've invested a significant amount of money to outfit each of the six arenas uh, to make sure that they've got HD-quality um, technology. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's where we're going on that front. Um, I'm sorry, what was your other question? Attendance and, and ah, affordability. Attendance, yes. Uh, I think it'll really vary. It's going to vary by markets. Um, you know, we we don't really know, frankly. Um, you know, if we could draw, depends on the market, if we could draw 3,000 a game, we'll be happy in some markets. Um, there's a market in Saskatoon where they, you know, they sell 14,000 lacrosse tickets every, you know, every lacrosse game. So yep. people out there are, are absolutely crazy for, for sports. So, you know, we think that, you know, that team could be several thousand the first year. Um, you know, some of the smaller markets like a Guelph might be, you know, twenty five hundred or three thousand. Um, tickets are really affordable. I think I have the cheapest season ticket in the league at hundred and sixty dollars for ten games. Um, and that goes all the way up to, to courtsides, which are seven my celebrity seats I think are seven ninety five uh for ten games. So we really want to make it family-friendly and, and and affordable for people and, and get people just engaged in the game and, and having fun. and um, So that's it. I mean, the, the investor got into this really not to make a bunch of money, but he's going to end up making money because the, the enterprise value of these six franchises has gone up significantly already. And I can't name names, but the people that want to buy into this league are top blue-chip sports entities already and so we're just holding we're not going to sell so we drive up enterprise value a little bit more and then and then people can buy in new franchises or they can buy existing franchises
0: and and who is the investor John
1: Richard Petco and Richard owned a team in the National Basketball League of Canada which has been floating around for I think it's the eighth year and um, he was he had the team the Niagara team in that league for three years and uh you know, teams kind of come and go in that league, and and he didn't like the way that league operated, and it wasn't very didn't meet his professional expectations or standards. So he left that league to start this one, and mm-hmm. uh, his background is primarily in real estate development, but also in the uh, dental supply uh, world. So, cool.
0: And um, on the personnel side, you know, we, we'll obviously go back to talking a little bit about. Maybe there's some comparisons between this and when the Raptors started. But um, you made an interesting hire, uh, which got a lot of play um, in November and into December. So do you want to tell us, everybody, about uh, who your head coach is going to be and how the process came along to make that choice?
1: Yeah, I hired uh, a woman named Chantelle Vallée. And Chantel has been the women's basketball coach at the University of Windsor for the last, this is her 14th year, although she's actually on sabbatical this year, but uh, uh, she's actually the first woman in basketball history anywhere in the world to be both a general manager and a head coach of a men's professional team. Nancy Lieberman was the first woman to be the head coach of a men's professional basketball team. She coached the Dallas Mavericks uh, G League team. It was the D League back then, uh, in 2010-2011. So, second woman head coach, first woman GM and head coach. Um, she is iconic in Canada. She's she's 43 years old, but she's got a. She's already won 22 Coach of the Year awards. Uh, this is a woman that. Uh, Has a 79% career-winning percentage, and it goes up in the playoffs to 83%. She's won five straight national titles. She took over a program at Windsor that had four winning seasons in 45 years. And she said when she took the job, we'll win the national championship in five years. And everybody laughed at her. But she won the national championship in six years, and then she won it in year seven, eight, nine, and ten. So she's a legendary coach up here. Um, So when I – when I identified her I I didn't actually know her or know of her and then a friend of mine uh, who's been the head of the Canadian Olympic Committee uh, Robin Brudner said when it comes time to hire your coach take a look at the woman at Windsor so I wrote her name down and didn't really think much about it and sat on everything for three or four months and then began the search for a head coach and my background is NBA so I looked most of my pool was NBA related people so I worked my way down and got to her name and did my investigation into her and it's like, wow, she ticked all the boxes for my criteria. And, um, yeah, when we announced her uh, November 21st, we did not expect the outpouring that we got. I mean, CNN had it. Uh, My mother's all excited because CNN mentioned me. So uh, CNN, ESPN. But, yeah, yeah, it was unbelievable. You know what? We haven't had one. We haven't even been trolled. It's unbelievable. Now I'm, not, now I'm probably inviting it, but the outpouring of support has been unbelievable across Canada, across the United States, South America, Scandinavia. Great story in the London in the Guardian newspaper from London. She's got some background in broadcasting, so the media in Canada knew her and thought really highly of her um, as a broadcast colleague, but also as a coach and. Uh, it's been way more than she and I ever expected. We didn't think it would be, you know, I was trying to stretch the story from a Wednesday announcement to Friday, but it hasn't let up and it's now been about three weeks. Amazing. Yeah. Uh,
0: What's the, just the, and again, I want to get to the Raptors in a second, but when you start a league in Canada, what's the first thing you did?
1: You know, they they actually started this before I got involved. And what they did was they created what they call the playbook. And they went to different leagues and they they pulled together all of the elements that have made other leagues go. You know, what's been successful, what hasn't. And before I got involved, Mike Morielli is the CEO, and Mike was a was a very successful CFL football player and uh i I'd, I'd known him a little bit from before and he's very highly regarded and he's a really sharp guy and so i really got involved because mike was the ceo and i wanted to help him out and but i asked him i said i need to see your business plan and i need, need to see your financials before i jump into this and he sent them to me and i couldn't believe how sound they were like it's as if these guys had done this before and it's mike and a guy named josh Knuster and richard petco put all this stuff together um, I think what you know. So my answer to that question is: you start by really developing a sound plan, and you look at what worked with other leagues, and, and look at other leagues that failed, and find out why they failed, and and that really sends you in the right direction. So it's just a, a rock solid business plan, and you know, reasonable, you know, somewhat conservative financial uh, projections. Um, And understanding that it's not a one or two year build, it needs to, you know, it needs to build slowly over time, like we built the Raptors. Um, And then you have to hire the right people. And this league is run by people, I'm from the NBA and the National Hockey League, we got somebody from the CFL, somebody from the National Cross League, somebody from PGA Tour, Uh, Mike's from the the, uh, CFL, he was the head of the CFL Players Association for five years, actually. Um, And then Josh came from the National Basketball League of Canada. So, Oh, and another guy ran the uh, stadium out in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, So you've got really seasoned and senior executive people running this thing. Um, And I think that's been a significant advantage for the league.
0: And and obviously the uptick in not just professional but college players who've come out of Canada – uh, who have now become household names not just in the United States but around the world will also probably help bolster this a little bit.
1: Uh, really does, yeah. yeah. Basketball up here has really exploded. I think we have 16 players in the NBA now. When I came to Canada, there was two, Bill Wennington and Rick Fox. Wow. Now I think there's 16 and there's going to be several more in the next couple of years.
0: Bill Wennington, St. John's, and Rick Fox from North Carolina.
1: Yeah, that's right. Anyway, yep.
0: so, so let's go talking about taking a step into the wayback machine, going to the Raptors. And I remember, so the Raptors and people, some people may not know that it was the Raptors and the Vancouver Grizzlies. Um, And I don't remember whether it was the first game, but it was the first season uh, when the Raptors started. And I remember when I was at the Sixers, we actually played exhibition games in both St. John and St. John's. Uh, (laughs) And it was, it was an interesting experiment, I guess, uh, that you could maybe take us through in comparison to the birth of the Raptors kind of you know playing in a in a baseball stadium to get started, and the challenges bringing basketball to Canada from an NBA form where it hadn't been for probably thirty or forty years with the Toronto Huskies um, to where it got to so so what was that experience like when you when you got there and you know kind of the birth of uh, the NBA in Canada?
1: One thing that, that Toronto did that Vancouver didn't do, and I think it really made the difference between one franchise being here and one having to relocate, was the Raptor organization went out and got people from NBA teams to, be, to head up all of the departments. So mm. all the senior leadership, I came from Portland, there was somebody from Phoenix, Philadelphia, Orlando, Denver, Detroit. Um, I think that was a real advantage because we were able to teach – the young staff, how the NBA works and the young staff taught us about the market. And it was a market that was very hockey centric. And, um, they didn't know basketball. People, you know, it's played at the high school level, but high school basketball here is played in the afternoon. So, you know, it's hard for parents to come see it. University basketball doesn't draw, you know, a crowd of three or 400 to be really, really strong. Um, so that was how basketball was in 1995. And, you know, you'd drive around the, Toronto and you wouldn't see basketball hoops anywhere. And I remember walking into Isaiah Thomas's office one day and we were up on the 17th floor of a building. And Isaiah place. was the
0: president of the team,
1: correct? He was, yes. He was the first president. Yep. And, Brandon and he was looking out his window and I said, what are you looking at? And he says, look down there. And there was two guys that had put up a portable basketball hoop and they were playing basketball. And, you know, here's Isaiah Thomas, Staring at this in in somewhat amazement, but it was such a unique sight. And one of the things that we did, kind of guerrilla marketing, is we got people, we got companies to donate us backboards and and nets, and we went to public parks and just put them up. We didn't even ask for permission. We just put up hoops in 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 places that in the winter time they're they're hockey rinks, in the summertime they're tennis courts, or they're just vacant. So we just did what we could do to put basketball hoops up. Then we invested money to refurbish community centers and courts and just putting basketballs, just buying basketballs and delivering to community centers because they didn't have it. And, you know, we were fortunate. We had a lot of really good guys on our expansion team, like good people that were funny and fun and they liked people. We were everywhere. We just did a ton of community outreach and, to your point earlier about St. John's, St. John's, we played our preseason games across Canada, um, you know, as far as we could without encroaching upon the Grizzlies. But we went from Saskatoon, to Winnipeg, East, um, just to really bring basketball to the people. And um, we grew it slowly, and, and I think we had an advantage too. The, we played in the Sky Dome, you know, the baseball stadium for the first two and a half seasons. And then we got a nice bounce when we opened the arena. And so then, you know, when you open an arena, people are curious about the arena, so they come. And but we had a really exciting team: Damon Stoudemire, Marcus Camby, and of course, Vince Carter revolutionized basketball in this country um, significantly, and we had really entertaining players. So it, it caught on, and I, I think that we, you know, if you're not part of the hockey establishment, what are you? And so we were we were really different. We were urban, hip. Um, Hip and hip hop, as opposed to the traditional hockey market—very stoic, very staid, very white, very conservative—we um, were the alternative to that. And I just think we did things strategically and thoughtfully, you know, kind of one day at a time. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you have you had an Italian player, Esposito, at one point? Didn't Vincenzo
1: you? Esposito. Vincenzo, yeah. Espos- you know, the this is such an ethnically diverse market. In Toronto there's 180 different languages spoken on a daily basis. Yeah. And so we did have some players. It's I think the third largest Italian population outside of Italy, mm-hmm. but second or third. And so that helped, you know, and you had guys from from different countries, you know, that were willing to be engaged in the community. The community connected with them and it really helped grow the Raptors. Mm -hmm.
0: Why um, you've spent obviously a lot of time in the Pacific Northwest as well. Why didn't for people that don't know the Grizzlies succeed in a market now, which is one of the most cosmopolitan markets and fastest growing markets in the world in Vancouver uh, and sports conscious markets. But why didn't the Grizzlies work in your opinion? And, 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 you know, you touched on some of the things that the Raptors did to change that. But what, what was the Grizzlies' issue? Do you think?
1: You know, different people have different theories. I was watching something on NBA TV last week uh, where they were talking about that, and their theory was that they didn't draft players who were very interesting. Big you know, country. Their, uh, yeah, their first pick was Big Country Reeves, and our first pick was Damon Stoudemire. And you know, Big Country's not a guy to build a franchise around. He's a complimentary player, and. And, you know, he's a big guy that plays down low. And you compare that to Damon Stodemeyer, who's, you know, six feet tall, you know, standing on his toes. And he's quick, and he's fun, and he's all over the floor. And so I think that was their theory, was that they never drafted a player that really captured the attention and the imagination of British Columbia. Um, you know, I've heard that. I've heard, you know, they never could really get the corporate support that the ownership tried to run it like a hockey franchise. They didn't really understand basketball and so there's different theories to that. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I think if they tried basketball there now, I think it would succeed. I think it would be really different because basketball in this country is so different. Yeah. Um I think people are more sophisticated about the NBA. Uh but other than Stu Jackson, um they didn't really I don't think they had anybody that came from the NBA. So oh. um Interesting. Yeah, I think there was kind of a mix of things that that they had to overcome and they weren't able to do that.
0: And of course, now one of their more prominent alums, Sharif Abdul Rahim, is now as, yeah. as this week the president of the NBA G League.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Hope to, uh, hope to get a chance to work with him.
0: Yep. Um, so going back to the the Raptors, um, do you know? Can you just let the people know like how the name came about and the, kind of the unique colors mm-hmm. as well? Because that was something that for that time in the NBA was just a little bit different from, from what other teams were doing.
1: Yeah, that really happened before my time, but it was uh, it was a public contest, and name the team contest. And um, they were looking at, you know, raptors, the tarantulas, uh, titans, the Toronto Towers. Um, I, I can't remember all of them. Uh, mm-hmm. So those were the ones, and it was the Jurassic Park era. You yep. know, the movies were very popular at the time. So uh From what I understand, it was the overwhelming favorite um as for the colors uh f- that was just somebody's creativity. It was a combination of the n b a people and um uh the raptors you know ownership and that's what they came up with. There was no real rhyme or reason. We eventually um moved away from that and adopted you know canada's colors or the flag is red and white, and the national team plays red and black and white. So we evolved. We got rid of the purple, and um, and evolved to to red and white, and uh, and then some black. And um, so that's kind of how the colors came about, how the name came about. The the logo really was kind of a takeoff on uh, from the Jurassic Park theme, yep. and uh, that's evolved too. You don't see that original dinosaur very often. and Of course, Cynic said, "Oh, it's like Barney. Uh, it's <laughs> purple. It's Barney." But um, you know, it it really took off. I mean, we were among the tops in merchandise sales at the time, and uh, you know, which is pretty good when you don't have a very good basketball team. Uh, people really loved it, and they still do. Like it's it's very popular. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, in a few minutes we have left. Can you take us through kind of the development of the Raptors into Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment? You know, obviously now with the Maple Leafs and FC Toronto and and the company that it became, which not sure if that was the original vision, but it certainly has become, you know, one of the most powerful and and diverse sports business entities, not just in Canada, but across the United States, uh, across North America.
1: Yeah. The um, So the Raptors started, and then we went through a series of adjustments at the ownership level. So some people bought out other people, and some people left, and some people were taken out, and so... I think I survived seven ownership changes. But um, yeah, so there was talk at one point about merging with the Maple Leafs, and it really kind of came out of this discussion around a new arena. So the Raptors obviously had part of the being granted expansion was this vision for a new arena. So the Raptors were moving along with the new arena, and then the Maple Leafs played in old Maple Leaf Gardens, and they needed a new facility. So they were actually going to build their own arena, right next to the Raptors. There were two of them are gonna be side by side. Mm. And um, and then discussion, you know, one thing led to another and you know, why don't we see if we can merge together? So the Toronto Maple Leafs ended up buying the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors management team, with the exception of two people, it was a reverse takeover. So the the Leafs bought the Raptors and the Raptors ran the Leafs. And and the Mm. Raptors created Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. The exceptions being the CFO, Ian Clark and the head of business operations, Tom Anselmi. Those are the Leaf guys. And then the, then the rest of us were from the Raptors were the senior management team. So we created Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. And it took about a year and a half to merge those two cultures. Fortunately, Richard Petty was the CEO, and he came from a packaged goods background, and he knew a lot about corporate culture and those kinds of things. So we we were able to do some things to merge these two opposite, opposite cultures. Um, and it was wildly successful and so then we had this beautiful new arena and and then along came Toronto FC and and, and then the AHL team the Marlies uh, mm-hmm. relocated to Toronto we built a soccer stadium for TFC uh, we were leasing an arena for the Toronto Marlies I started NBA TV uh, NBA Canada TV um, and then started a lease TV channel and both of those are still running today, all these years later. Everybody thought all that'll last a couple of years. They're both still going. Um, yeah, and then built Maple Leaf Square, which is like you see with a lot of venues. There's 84 floors of condo towers and restaurants and you know all that kind of commercial and entertainment offerings that that you see around arenas now. So yeah, it was quite the journey. Mm.
0: So uh, we'd like to ask everybody a couple questions, uh, advice and. Um, how you stay current in everything that you do. But I, was, I thought about this as well. What are, are, are there two or three things that you've seen with the culture in the places that you've been that always seem to work? And what's one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they try to get into the sports business?
1: You know, I think in terms of culture, and this is the reason I hired Chantel Vallee as the head coach and general manager in Hamilton, partly because of her basketball. But away from basketball, she's a very successful business person. She knows how to create cultures in organizations, and blue-chip companies hire her and bring her in to do that. Uh, She's turned down opportunities to get out of sports and just do that. So one of the things that, that I believe in, that she believes in, is a culture that develops the whole person. A very holistic approach to managing and leading people. Um, if you develop a, a human being and a person, you're going to get a better professional. You have to you have to be really caring. They, can all, you know, they can't be names on an org chart. They can't be a number, a head count. You have to really get to know your people and, and what makes them effective, and, and then set them up to succeed. Put them into positions to play to their strengths and at the same time allow them to work on their areas of development. So I think that, I think a flatter organization, I think taking input from all people. I found one of the smartest people in an organization is the receptionist. Yep. So they really know what's going on. You can have a nice book of policies and procedures and how we do things. But then as you know, Joe, there's also a way that you actually do things. Right. So I think a good leader um, creates a culture along those lines um, and it sustains itself over time. It's, it, it's, you know, it doesn't give a knee jerk reaction to a downturn because those always happen. Um, so I think that's it. Um, in terms of cultural change, the other question was about mistakes. About
0: mistake, one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they, they try to get into this business.
1: Um, I think the mistake is Expectation. I think that, you know, people, first of all, I think it's easier to get in than it is. They think that, oh, I'm going to go work in, you know, pro football or the NBA because I love football or basketball. Well, chances are you're probably never going to meet one of the players. You, you might not even be going to all the games. And if you are, you're probably working and not watching and enjoying them. Um, so I think it's expectations, and you have to pay your dues, and you, you get in, and it's a, it's a good thing to get in at a low level and work your way up because that's how you really learn the business. So I think what I have seen people come in and you know, with an attitude that they know it all and that they're going to get the corner office pretty quickly, those people flame out. They, first of all, they usually get kicked out, um, but I think that's the biggest mistake is coming in and and not being open-minded and willing to learn and willing to work your way up. Great. Um, Who are some of the the people that have influenced you
0: the most in your job, John?
1: My career, my first boss was John Spolstra. Um, Name Ice to Eskimos. Great book. Exactly. I mean, one of the icons in sports Mm -hmm. business. And he was my first president and he and Harry Glickman, the, the founder of the Trailblazers. So, those two guys had tremendous impact on me. Um, there's just been so many people along the way. My first sports information director, Steve Hellyer, uh, was very influential. Richard Petty and Tom Anselmi. Uh, Richard was the CEO. Tom was the COO at Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. Both guys are very buttoned down with business disciplines. Uh, they're big on strategic planning and effective budgeting and is instilling a, a successful culture or a culture of success. Um, I think those those people, I mean, there's been so many. I've been doing this for 38 years, so there's been many, mm-hmm. but they come first to mind.
0: Great. And then um, how do you stay current with everything that's going on? Are there things you read, uh, sites you visit? What what are some of the things that, that make sure that the first things that you look at in the morning and the last things you go to bed at night?
1: Actually, the first thing I read and the last thing I read is Twitter. Um, so I'm careful who I follow and what I follow, and, yeah, you know, I try to keep that focused on sources that I trust and and um, and know. Um, I I just think doing a lot of reading and, you know, I'm not one. I've never been one to sit down with a 300-page leadership book. That's just not me. And I don't think you have to do that. If that's your thing, great. But um, I think just reading as much as you can, even if it's just, you know, an article here and an article there, um That helps me stay current. You know, I'm 58 years old. I created my own website for my own business uh, last summer, and I have an attitude that I can do anything someone half my age can do. I do not let anything intimidate me. And uh, Mm -hmm. you have to embrace technology and and pay attention to where it's going and be there.
0: Mm -hmm. And then uh, the last question we like to ask everybody is um, you talk to a lot of young people, especially in the startup business that you're in now, uh, and you touch on a little bit of it, but are there one or two kind of, pearls of wisdom or insight that you always give people, whether they're coming into a business or whether they're looking to change careers.
1: Yes. I tell people you don't work for me. You don't work for this organization. You work for yourself Mm -hmm. and I will help you. If you will drive the process, I am committed to helping you develop yourself. Um, An organization will only be loyal to you until it decides that it won't be interesting. You have to, you are your own business, your own company you develop yourself. I will help you. I will, I will open doors for you. I will connect you. But you have to drive that process. And you don't work for me. You work for yourself. Because, look, I got fired by the Portland Trailblazers, so I learned that lesson. And, yep. uh, but it's so true. We all bounce around. So,
0: mm-hmm. Cool. And then uh, the most important question, John, is where can people find information about the CEBL, the Honey Badgers, and who should they be following? And, and give a little shout-out to how they can find you as well.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Um, the league website is C E B L dot C A. Uh, the honey badgers is honey dot C A. And, um, that's probably the best spot to, to go. And then of course we're on Twitter and, uh, Facebook and Instagram, and everything else. And, um, I don't know if I'm a, I didn't used to think I was a very good follow, but I'm trying to get better. There you go. <laughs> um, but, uh, at John Lashway on Twitter, um, that's that's where you find us. I, uh, yeah, that's that's what I'd recommend. Are you hiring? You know, they've hired more people than I thought they were going to. I mean, this thing has absolutely exploded. Our, our league office has eleven or twelve full-time people now. Yeah. Wow. Um, we're full. I mean, I know they're all full at the team level, but as growth happens, then new positions come on. So, you know, one of the things I learned with the Raptors expansion is there's a lot of churn in the first couple of years. The people that a lot of times will launch a new business aren't the people that you need in place to run it after mm-hmm. it's launched. So, there's usually some turnover. Either people uh, by their choice or they're just not the fit anymore. So, I would recommend just Pay attention, and you know, it's going to help if you're Canadian, frankly. If you're listening in Canada, you got a great shot. And and Americans, I don't know. I'm a dual citizen, but this is a Canadian league, so.
0: Well, we've got a lot, believe it or not, we've got a lot of Canadians uh, who listen in and a lot of Canadian students and alumni, so. Fantastic. uh, Yeah, it's been uh, great, obviously, catching up with you, John Lashray, the president of the Hamilton Honey Badgers, uh, working in the CEBL and has been around professional sports, especially the NBA and the NHL startups at the nba and continually growing businesses and now obviously with the cebl we wish you a lot of luck uh, and thanks for
1: coming on thank you very much joe i always enjoy talking with you and look forward to next time cool
0: once again uh we've been talking to john lashway the president of the hamilton honey badgers of the soon-to-launch cebl longtime nba and nhl executive Um, once again this is joe favorito for my co-host, Tom Richardson, this has been The Cusp Show. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you down the line.